Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. It is time for parenting and Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon, Sean. First question is this. I'm nearly eight months pregnant and due, due my second child this summer, I currently have one daughter who's two and a half. I'd love to know how I could prepare her for the arrival of the second child. At the moment, she's very dependent on both her, her parents and can be a little bit stroppy when the attention isn't on her. She's not old enough where I can explain there is a new child coming, but I need to get her prepared for the big change. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I think, Sean, you know, one of the key things here is that two and a half, while she's not going to have a rich cognitive understanding of a new baby's coming in permanently, you know, that's classically the age where you bring a baby home and they're like, well, that was great for a week. When are you sending it back? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can and should be speaking about the new baby coming certainly by now. So get going on it. I think there's a couple of really practical things you can do. Get your hands on a couple of children's storybooks. There are endless amounts of them. I mean, one of the, or I'll give you two. Uh, You Were the First is a lovely little book that explains you were our first child and we still love you and there's another baby coming and our love for you hasn't changed or the amount of love we have for you hasn't changed. And there's another one called There's a House Inside My Mummy. Um, I can't remember who wrote that one, but it's the guy who wrote Giraffes Can't Dance which is also a lovely book, but nothing to do with babies. But this one is about explaining that there's a brother or a sister growing inside mommy and that baby's going to come out and live in our family. So those are really practical things to start with. And I would be reading one or other of those every day. Now, not in a real, you know, here comes the baby talk, but just naturally interweaving it into story time the way you do it every day. I think I'd also be getting her, she may well have one, but I'd be getting her maybe a new baby doll, one that comes with a few accessories, you know, that has a high chair, um, a, a little buggy thing, um, comes with nappies or other kinds of accessories so that she can mirror what you're doing with the baby. And as she's mirroring you and you're going to guide her, going, now you do the baby like I'm doing my baby and do it this way. Tell her about when you did things like that for her when she was a little baby. But even now, before the baby comes, you could be putting that doll in a little doll buggy and taking it for short walks because that's going to be part of your life that the two of you will go out together with the baby in the buggy. Um, And I think, you know, we have this thing that, you know, she's very dependent on parents. That's great, by the way, at her age. We want her knowing that she is safe and secure with her parents, that she's in a, you know, securely attached, trust based relationship. And it's really it's about connection that you're going to be promoting. So ensure you or her other parent spend one to one time with her small pockets of it every day. Honestly, 15 minutes, maybe morning time before the baby's up or, you know, maybe in the evening time that she's getting one to one time with both of you. But I would certainly start that conversation now. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. There's a house inside my mummy. The author is Giles Andre. Yes. A-N-D-R-E-A-E. Um, what about bribery, Joanna? Uh, <laughs> uh, what about, you know, your sibling brought you this lovely present? Oh, I mean, you can certainly do that, but I think that's when the baby comes. Mm. So I want you preparing her now because you haven't really discussed it with her yet. So I want you actively, you know, and the way a two and a half year old understands a change is coming is by playing it out. You don't sit down and talk to them about it because that's just not the way they learn. They learn by doing. They communicate by doing. But I do think the baby should bring a little gift. And I do mean a little gift, Sean. I'm hearing 
sometimes of the these new babies bringing pretty epic gifts. Um, it doesn't need to be something big. It can be a book that we can all read together. It can be, you know, a little uh, music box that we can play some music on. It can be something quite small. Yes, uh, indeed. It's it's mommy who should get the present. Uh, Definitely. Really, one of <laughs> uh, I, I think my younger son is copying his older brother's experiences in school. My eldest is 16 and has never found a strong group of friends. He struggled from a day one to feel comfortable and regularly talks at home about being a loner. And now he's the weird one in school. However, we're dealing with that in school, who have been wonderfully supportive. My concern about his younger brother, who's in second year, up until Christmas just gone, he was a happy, confident student who had a decent group of friends and was settled into secondary school. However, he's now saying almost verbatim the same things and was settled into secondary school. However, he's, it's, uh, I've investigated with some other parents and teachers and they say there's nothing obviously wrong, but my son is choosing not to take part as much. He's pushing his friends away. Could he be copying his brother to get attention? I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, do not assume that that's the case. I think the best approach here is to attune to his own experiences, because I'm hearing that you've done some investigations, some phone calls, some chats with other parents and teachers. But I'm not hearing that you've had that same investigation chat with your son. So I think you do need to speak to him about this. You could get curious, you know, as to, you know, did something happen around Christmas time? Um, you could share, look, I'm really concerned. I see you pushing friends away. I really want to help you. You know, it's really important that you have friends in school. That matters to us. We want you happy. I think you need to have a chat with him. I'm wondering, were there any other changes um, that you noted? Like, did you notice a change in his sleep pattern around Christmas time or since then? Any changes in his diet? Um, has he stayed engaged in whatever activities he was engaged in beforehand? You know, what is his general engagement level? Or are we seeing this play out not just with friends in school, but in other areas? I'm also wondering about this older brother who regularly talks at home about identifying as a loner, the weird one in school. And you're taking action. The school are being great. This is wonderful. But I'm wondering, historically or even now, has his saying this garnered quite a big response from you? And how has your younger son understood that? I wonder as well how they get on, Sean, together, because if he's copying his brother, maybe his brother could say to him, listen, you know, you have friends. That's something I've, I'm always working towards. And he could chat with him if he's able. Now, I don't know enough about the 16 year old, but if he's able yeah. um, at this stage, I would consider referring him to an adolescent psychotherapist because he may benefit from having a space to process his experiences of his brother, because sometimes we play things out in a bid to make meaning or make sense of them. Like if I'm like, I don't get why he does that or I don't get why it is that way for him. Maybe I have a compulsion to in, at some level play that out to understand it. And I think he could also process his own experience. And I think if you do that now at 14, I think he is. But around 14, if you start that now as soon as you can, you could turn this around for him. Mm -hmm. Okay, but uh, you'd be you'd be pretty definitive that uh, you may need some professional help on this. I think I would, Sean, because this is a dramatic shift in a child. You know, for a child who has never had friends to gradually start working towards making them, that can be progress because you're consciously working on it, as in with the 16-year-old. But for a child who has had friends and social connections and has, you know, been really engaged in school to suddenly stop doing it and is observed actively pushing friends away rather than friends not wanting to engage with him. 
I would certainly be curious as to what's driving that. Yeah. And I wouldn't assume it's just the brother. Yeah. I have three girls, age six, three and one. I grew up in a home where sex, your body, periods, puberty were never discussed. And in fact, it was actually actively discouraged to talk about it. Uh, shame was attached to things like bras, your sexuality, etc. As a result, I'm very keen to bring up my girls in a very different, more open environment. We have, of course, discussed our bodies and the fact that there was a baby in mummy's tummy when I was pregnant. And they've covered some things around touch and strangers in school. But I would really appreciate your guidance on on suggested books on how to begin to discuss sex, reproduction, bodies, etc. in more detail with my children, age appropriate, of course. Should you still have a formal sit-down sex talk at some point with your child? Or is that old school? And is it just a number of open conversations over the years? How do you even start these conversations? I think that, you know, fair play to you because you didn't grow up with this narrative in your family and you're so conscious and aware of it and really driven to go, I'm going to do this differently But how do you know what you don't know? If nobody spoke Mm -hmm. to you about it, of course you don't have the language, the narrative to kickstart it. And it's not that the talk, as it was always called, um, is a one-off thing and you wait to a certain age. Actually, I do think it's better to start that conversation young. You can be talking to children about their bodies when they're, you know, two years old. And it's not that you sit down and you do this entire detailed biological ins and outs, literally, talk. You, You actually start by using proper, appropriate language for body parts. You start by celebrating their curiosity about their bodies. And when they ask you a question, interpret that as them being ready for an answer. And you take it from there. You start early and small and you extend and grow up the conversation with them. Um, I really think this is about, you know, normalizing talking about periods, bras, sexuality, whatever it is that, you know, if they find you know, whatever tampons or pads in the house that you're, you name what they are and what they're for and they're for older girls and you'll use them one day, but, you know, we'll talk about it, but here's what they're for. Th- there are books. I mean, of course there are books, but I love this, you know, age appropriate, of course. So, I mean, developmentally appropriate is what I'm going to put in your head. So don't go with a book that just says this is for one to three-year-olds. If you've got a three-year-old who's quite, you know, precocious and quite grown up and asks a lot of questions, they might be able for a bit of an older book. So use Mm. your own discretion on this. I mean, there are books, um, Making a Baby by Rachel Greener is one. Um, Who Has What by Robbie Harris is another. Um, Inside Your Outside, that's actually a cat in the hat book. It's the cat in the hat character. I don't know if it's officially Dr. Seuss, but it is the cat in the hat character inside your outside. And then there's one, but I would think your girls are a little young for it yet, but it's no harm that you have it and you read it for yourself so that you have a language as they get older that you can defer to rather than you go, oops, they're older. I now need an older book. And it's called Bodies Are Cool by Tyler Fetter. It, it is for slightly older kids. Yeah. But just talking about bodies coming in all shapes, sizes, colors, abilities, that we all have an outside and we have an inside and just naming all of the parts with it and being playful with it. I think it's really important to be playful with how we talk about these things. And that's easy if you're comfortable with the language. But if you're thinking, oh, I need time to get there, then you start with yourself. Yeah. Now, is it is it mostly led by them in the sense you wait until they ask a question and then you just answer it? I mean, at six, three and one, it is. The only thing led by you is that you always use the appropriate language for body parts. Mm. And by appropriate, do you mean the correct term? 
Yes. Yeah. So that you don't give pet names to body parts that you call them what they are. This is your these are girls. This is your vulva. This is whatever you go through it. Right. And why is that important? Because actually it gives them a language to understand their bodies, to be able to take control and to manage their own bodies and to understand that bodies are normal, sometimes icky, messy, but always delightful things that we, we have to understand. Right, okay, we do have to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Coming up after the break, a child starting boarding school. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Someone's texting in to say on the uh, issue of... Uh, a new arrival in in the household. Uh, somebody says, my 18-year-old daughter still remembers the present she got from her baby sister just after she turned three. So oh, I hope that's baby. because uh, she's a great memory rather than, you know, you bought her a car or, or something <laughs> when she was three. Uh, right. <clears throat> Our eldest son is beginning at boarding school this coming September. He's very close to his younger sister and we are worried about how this big change is going to impact her. She is only six years old and very dependent on him. She understands that he will be living away from us from September onwards, but I think she's in denial about what this means on a practical level. How can we best prepare her? I mean, you're going to do some prep now and then you're going to be refining that preparation right through the first term, at least, that he's away at school. And I'm noticing here, Sean, you know, he's very close to his younger sister. And I know these parents are understandably very worried about how the six-year-old is going to react But I'm wondering about this young boy as well. He's also moving away from the family and his sister to whom he's very close. So this is a big change for him because he's very close to her. So just think to yourself, how are you preparing both of them for this separation? And I'm wondering, you know, it depends on where they're located and the school is located. Will he be home at weekends or holidays only? And when she understands he's going to live away, that's quite an abstract thought, isn't it? Away. Where is this mystical place away? Mm. So it's certainly something to explore. Can she go to the school for a visit? Can she maybe see ahead of time? where he's going to be sleeping, where he'll eat, where he's going to be playing so that she has a visual to locate him in when they're not together. Um, I also think, you know, once he is away for all of you, but particularly these two siblings who, I mean, I'm inferring, Sean, that this little guy is starting first year um, and that might be wrong, but there's an age gap between them, but they're still each other's pals, which is really lovely. So make sure that they see and talk to each other on video calls, send little cards or drawings or paintings in the post and make sure you have a photo of them together framed and that they get to do a fun activity together every week between now and September. So I think that you can really be playful in the approach, but keep this conversation ongoing going and always pay attention to him just because he's older doesn't mean that he won't have an emotional response to moving out either mm. oh no it's a big change for him big as move. well big Huge move. change. depending on how i mean i don't know if he's just starting there in first year or he's just going to boarding school to do the leaving start still a big change either way absolutely uh, I, I would have thought uh, just going back to the uh, question about uh, having, you know, ha- how one uh, addresses issues around uh, se- sex and bodies uh, to kids. I'll read out this couple of comments, Joanna. Uh, one, okay. per- one person says, there is no way me or anyone I know 
would talk to that three-year-old and use a word like vulva. Give us words that are reasonable to use, not something you and the lifelong academics read in a PhD thesis. I don't think vulva's that fancy, really. I really uh, don't think it is. No. Uh, someone else says, can you ask Joanna, do you refer to a little boy's willy as a penis? I have I a two-year-old boy, but it seems like a very, uh, a very grown-up word to use for a small child. Is it bad to just refer to it as a willy or is that a pet name? Look, it's not bad, but you're going to be changing that language. And guys, look, all I can give you is what is best for children. What we know is that they have more confidence and control and ability to speak about their bodies, particularly if they're having any difficulties with their bodies when they have appropriate language. Um, You know, that's not an academic word. That is a body word. It really is. And I think that, you know, lots of us who are thinking, God, I don't think I could say that. It's very likely we grew up in families where it was never said. Mm. So, you know, that's also okay if you want to ease yourself into it. But be aware you're going to start with a a more playful, gentler word and you're going to have to change that and introduce a new word at some point. My personal preference and recommendation would be use the right language from the very beginning. Yeah, and it is actually quite surprising the amount of adults, but particularly men who don't know the difference between a vulva and a vagina. Uh, I think they're essentially the same thing. Uh, Right. Uh, My daughter is keeping things from me and I think it's deliberate. Until last year, we had a very open relationship and she used to come home from school and tell me everything. The good, the bad and the ugly. However... In the last six months or so, she stopped talking to me. She comes in nonchalantly, answers everything with fine, even throws in, wouldn't you like to know, in response to my questions. She knows I want to hear from her and I've tried not reacting at all and I've tried sitting down with her to find out what's changed. But she's brushed me off every time. I can't force her to talk, but I'm concerned that something's happened and that's why she's not sharing with me. I don't know what's going on. Oh, see that last bit there. I don't know what's going on. You're going Mm. to have to embrace that because I again, I don't know how old this this girl is in this letter, Sean. But if she's preteen teenager, this is quite normal, can be very challenging as a parent, particularly when you've enjoyed a very open, close sharing relationship with your daughter. But one of the five developmental adjustments for adolescence is privacy. They crave more privacy. They need more privacy. And as we know less, we tend to want to know more. So we push and we interrogate. And there's that very fine line. Again, it's often too fine between being interested in her day and being intrusive, trying to force her to tell you things. So when you say you don't react at all, just know that that is a reaction. Silence is a reaction. So it might be better that when she says, wouldn't you like to know that you say, well, yes, I would. That's why I asked you. But I understand that you don't really want to share. And that's okay. That's your choice. And you reflect it back in that way, because as our children grow up, so too must our parenting. We the strategies, the interventions that worked so well when they were middle childhood, eight to 12, even earlier They're no longer as effective once they hit adolescence. And again, I'm saying pre-adolescence as well, because some kids hit that developmental curve at a chronologically earlier age. Let's put it that way. They might be hitting it at 10 or 11 rather than 13 or 14. So I think, you know, try reframing how you're asking her. So you're going to say, what was the best thing about your day today? What what part of your day do you wish you went differently? And if you get that whole, hmm, wouldn't you like to know? Say yes, and I'm going to want to know every day. But you're only asking her for two pieces of specific information. And I think you could start by offering yours. Since I saw you at breakfast this morning, the best bit of my day was X. 
And the bit I wish went differently was why. What about you? What was your best bit? And just because I, she might not tell you on day one, two or three of doing this doesn't mean you should stop because she might start telling you. Yes. OK. But I imagine you'll get a lot of huffing and, and sighing oh, yeah, and turn your absolutely. back and looking at her phone while, while you're doing all that. Absolutely. But again, that's challenging as parents, but it is developmentally normal for teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that would just drive you absolutely mad. Though, Especially when you're used to her telling you, you know, this happened and that happened. And you're like, wait a minute, what happened here? And I think we can move, Sean, very quickly to almost fatalistic thinking. You know, yeah. something has happened, something's happened. And if you really think there's more than this behavior that is, you know, tipping you off that something's happened, of course, get curious about that and explore that with her. But based on what's in this letter alone, I would be saying this is quite normal. Yeah. Sheena says the way I handled the non-communication from a teen was to pretend I didn't want to know and, <laughs> and told her all about my day. That worked much better. Uh, yeah. Sheena. <laughs> but suppose... communicating. Yeah, just to shut up, mom. They, they <laughs> tell them something. Uh, now, uh, this is an unusual one. Our 13-year-old boy is fascinated by the world of finance. He's in first year and is going to Matt's camp this summer. He uses his dad's subscription to the Financial Times to check the stock market and he's desperate to invest his pocket money in crypto. At first I was encouraging his enthusiasm, but now I'm starting to worry about the idea of a child being so obsessed with money. I fear that I have unleashed a little capitalist monster into the world and I don't know how to rein him back in. His father doesn't help with this at all as he works as an investment banker and sees him as a kind of a mini-me figure. Send help. Is it okay for me to limit his interest in something if I don't believe they are healthy and formative? I mean, I don't know if he's fascinated, obsessed. These are different things. I don't know that he's obsessed. I think he's interested in how money works. You know, you're even saying he's going to maths camp this Mm. summer. He's interested in numbers. And if he's interested in how money works, there's a few ways that you can approach this. So I don't think you need to limit this interest. I'm not really a fan of limiting, unless it's very harmful, of not limiting um, teenagers' interest because we really want to encourage them to have interests and passions. But I would ensure it's not his only interest, that there is something else that he's doing or something else that sparks joy for him. You know, or what else could you do to encourage him to get interested in something? And I think as well, Sean, you know, there are other ways to also channel an interest in how money works, because money, as we all know, doesn't just work in terms of accumulating it or gathering it. It also works in a way where some people don't have it and don't have enough of it. So encouraging some volunteering, you know, he could buy and make with some pocket money, the bits he's not investing in crypto, that he could make hygiene packs to drop at a shelter for people who are living in a, in homelessness. Um, he could fundraise for a cause he's passionate about. He could see that money actually is something that isn't a universal and that some people are very privileged with money and some people really struggle. So under having a very holistic understanding of money and finances, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. Because I wonder, is it figures that he's uh, this the, the the mathematical mechanism he's interested in yeah. rather than money itself? That's my instinct, Sean. To be honest with you, and also his dad is interested in numbers, in the Financial Times, in in similar things. So he's also interested in what interests his dad. Yeah. Uh, plus also if she married an investment banker I don't know why she's so horrified that her son might turn out to be one uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an odd one uh, and, so, and uh, um, someone says going back to the uh, the 
question about boarding school. Someone says yes. letters, proper letters yes. in the post are the best thing to receive at boarding school. There's nothing quite as comforting. Uh, um, I don't know. Do people send letters? To, I mean, they, not nearly enough, not yeah. nearly enough. But I do think it's so I mean, we know ourselves even as adults. It's so thrilling to get, you know, not a not a bill or, a, you know, something you've ordered online in the post, but a card or a letter that somebody took time to write to you, put a stamp on and get it to you. I think that's a, it's becoming a lost art, but I think it would be lovely for these siblings to have. Yeah. And uh, going back to the question about sex education, someone says, uh, thus proving the point, I would have thought, if I'd have said vulva to my dad in the 1980s, he'd have asked me, who's he playing for? Yes, indeed. Absolutely, that's it in a nutshell, yeah. Proving the point. Joanna, a joy as ever. Thanks a million. Uh, Joanna Fortune, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, how did pop start? Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.